0: James chapter 4 verse 1 to 7 I'm going to read from here because I want to read from the New Living Translation which I don't think anybody has that Bible here in hard copy Does anybody have New Living Translation in hard copy? I don't think so I know many of you have King James and NIV I want New Living Translation Anybody has NLT? The Bible says, what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask from God. And even when you ask... You don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what you will give you pleasure. You adulterers. Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Do you not think that the scriptures have no meaning when they say God is passionate that the spirit he has placed within us should Help us to be faithful to Him. And, and He gives grace generously. As the scripture says, God opposes the pride, the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. Verse 7. So humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. May God bless this word and may God give us ears to hear and a heart to understand. Father, we decrease this morning that you may increase. Speak from your throne and let your servants be changed. Let your people be edified. Let the church be blessed in the name of Jesus. You may take your seats. We're going to continue our series. Last week we talked about the dangers of pride. And today we're going to talk about dealing with the roots of pride. Dealing with the roots of pride. Uh, One of the, as I was thinking about the Roots of Pride, what came to my mind is, many of you from Africa know what is malaria, and we know that malaria is one of those sicknesses that is not very complicated in nature, but it has actually killed a lot of people than any disease you can ever mention in Africa, malaria. And I'm glad to announce to you that this week, a company in Maryland has actually found a vaccine for Malaria. So they are trying it in Kenya right now. If it is is successful, then it's going to be given throughout Africa. So maybe in a year from now, malaria will be history. I thought this church would say amen. Amen. And when you think about why malaria is so so, so simple, but it kills, it was because when malaria started affecting people, they didn't know the root cause of the sickness. They were treating the symptoms. So once you start feeling cold, they said it was fever, so they gave you fever medicine. They gave you medicine to calm down your temperature and to fix it. But there was something inside of the body that was destroying you inside while the symptoms were being treated outside. It is easy for somebody to just pretend to be humble. You know, you come to a place like this, you wear your shirt with your collar, your shoulder, you walk around like you're a very humble person. You are trying to deal with the symptoms of pride. Because pride is something that is way more than just the manifestation. It is something that goes on inside and only manifests outside. So if you are trying to attack the fruit from outside, you may cover the fruit. That is why there are some people that are very poor but very proud. Because it's not about what you have outside that makes you proud. It is what is going on inside of you that makes you proud. So we are going to be attacking The roots of pride. And I believe that as we leave this place today, God will grant us the grace to uproot every pride that is in our lives. In the name of Jesus. Now, when you look at the text that we just read this morning, the hermeneutical study of the periscope of this text shows different manifestations of pride. Pride is seen to manifest in the text we've read in so many ways. James opened the scriptures by saying, what is causing fights and quarrels among you? You know, whenever there is a conflict among people, whether there is a conflict among families, brothers and sisters, a conflict among couples, among friends, uh, in, uh, even among nations, there is always a root cause of the problem. We all who read history understand that when the Second World War happened, what is actually known to be the cause of the Second World War as studied by many people is not the exact cause. There is a root cause behind everything. Even when you think about the war that Americans fought in, in Vietnam, the war that they fought in Iraq, the, the, the general saying is that they went to the place because there was a dictator in power and they wanted to take down the dictator. But those who understand politics know that the roots, and far deeper than just the dictator that was in power. There was something going on on the ground that led the Americans to go to Vietnam, that led Americans to go to Iraq, and now in Syria, there is something way more that we can discuss in this platform because this is not a political setting. If you hear me this morning, say I hear you. So when we talk about roots this morning, the Bible says what is causing fights and quarrels among you. In every quarrel, in every conflict, there is always a root cause. There is always a root cause. And he goes to the second part. He says, don't they come from the evil desires that are waging war inside of you? What does this mean? Whenever there is a conflict among people, whenever somebody is offended, whenever somebody is frustrated or angry, we don't seem to face what is inside of us that is making us offended. We rather attack the person who made us offended. Because according to us, if you did not say what you said or did what you did, I will not be offended or frustrated. But rather, we understand from this text that you are offended because of something that is going on inside of you. Because somebody can say to you, you stupid. And say to this other one, you stupid. And the two, one gets offended, one doesn't get offended. Because it is what is inside of you that, is, that interprets what the person has said that makes you offended. And so sometimes, instead of dealing with the issues that are going on inside of us, we rather focus on attacking the people that have said or done something to us. Is somebody hearing me this morning? So instead of attacking people for what they have done and what they have said to make you angry or frustrated, look inside and ask yourself, what is it that is making me angry? What is it that is making me frustrated? What is it that is making me so offended by what this person said? Because the Bible says they are the desires that are inside of you that is making you offended, making you wage war, have all these emotions, all these feelings that is going on inside of you. It is the war, the emotions, the desires that are inside of you. And then he goes inside and says that, you want what you don't have, so you scheme, you kill to get it. What does that mean? Sometimes, we, are, we, are, we, we, we criticize people that are successful. We castigate those that are successful. We scrutinize them. Not because of what they have. It is because we don't have what they have. Many will agree with me that growing up, especially in Cameroon, every rich person was involved in a secret society. Can somebody agree with me that? Any man that was successful had his hand somewhere. Because we didn't believe that you could just get rich naturally or by work, So as a result of that, if anybody succeeded, it is because they did something wrong. It is because they were involved with some secret societies. So we tend to have a critical look on anybody that is successful. And the Bible says the reason why we criticize them like that is because we don't have what they have. And since we can't get what they have, we think that by criticizing them, talking evil against them, we are going to bring them down and get what they want. But James tells us that we are deceived because we will never get what they want. And then he says that when you can't get what they want, for example, you talk against somebody, maybe a, a, a businessman has bought a private jet, and then you start saying, look, all this money they are using, using to buy private jets, they can help the poor, they can fix roads, they can build schools. You, you start suggesting things for them that if God gave you the same money, you will not do one of them. You're talking about a rich man who has a lot of money to buy water for the poor, buy supplies for the poor people. You suggest things for them to do. What have you done with the little that God has given to you? Have you ever taken food from your house, the little that you have, and go to the street to look for somebody that is homeless to give them the food? But when you sit in your poverty, you start suggesting things that people with their money should do with their money. And then the Bible says, because of this, you are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight and wage war to take it from them. A lot of jealousy that manifests in us is when we see people who have gone ahead of us and we can't measure with them. So what happens is that you become jealous. Even when I was in school, whenever there was a guy in class that was so intelligent, we accused him of using some magical powers to extract knowledge from people that's what we said because you all are in the same class you attend the same course you live in the same neighborhood but this guy is scoring 20 on 20 in every subject and you are coming with 12.5 11.5 so the only way for you to you know console yourself in your stupidity is to say that this guy is using some mystical powers to get knowledge you become jealous there are a lot of people that have become jealous of others because they can't get where they are. So they skim to jealousy. But let me tell you, in this life, like I always say, everybody has their lane. Is somebody hearing me? Whether you drive fast or drive slow, you will never get to where I'm going. You will never be who I am. Even if you go and clone yourself, you will never be me. And I can never be you. So once you understand this, it will help you to start to stop being jealous of other people. I know we are Christians. When we talk about jealousy, nobody here can admit that they are jealous. Sometimes people don't attend events or parties because they are jealous. You are invited to a place because of the jealousy that is inside of you. You say, what are they showing? I'm not attending. I don't attend the events. The Lord even said to me that sometimes you want to help somebody. They won't admit to take their help from me because they are jealous. Who do they think they are to help me? Jealousy will make you act stupid and act foolish. Take, for example, a brother that you came to this country with the same time. Maybe you guys did the same course. And finally, the brother has gotten a job that is paying maybe six figures. And now you're in trouble. And the brother says, bro, let me give you one test and I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. Jealousy will make you not to accept what that brother is offering you. Because according to you, who is he to offer me help? We attended the same class together. I came here before him. I was even more intelligent than him in school. Who is it to help to give me help? Jealousy or praise like that. And James said, because of this word that is inside of you, you scheme to jealousy. And he says that you do not have because you have not asked. And he say even when you ask, you don't receive because all you want to do is spend everything on your pleasures. Listen, most of our prayers are not answered because we pray from the place of greed. We pray out of a place of lust. We pray to get more so we can spend it on ourselves. Until you understand the goal and the reason of prosperity, you can prosper. The only reason why God wants to prosper us is so we can use his resources to prosper other people, to benefit other people, to sponsor his work, to, to help the gospel go to remote areas. But if your idea about prosperity is so you can drive a luxury car and stay in a luxury home and wear expensive clothes and shoes, then you are all wrong. Is somebody had me this morning, so you go to somebody's house, maybe somebody calls and says, I just bought a house, I want to dedicate this house. You go there for the dedication or the house opening. And the moment you come back that night, your prayer topic has changed. Oh God, I'm not the last person in this country. Look at my friends who came yesterday. They have bought houses. God changed my story. i have got to look at you. You are praying these prayers because you saw somebody dedicating their house, and now your prayer topics have changed. You used to drive a car 2001, and that car drove so well; it had no issues, no check engine light. But just because somebody came and brought a 2019, now the car that you used to drive so well has suddenly depreciated from your eyes that you want a new car as soon as possible. And now you are praying and desiring things that you want from God because you want to spend it all on your on your pleasures. Is somebody hearing me this morning? Pride manifests in different ways. Once we understand that the goal of prosperity is to help us do the work of God, there is nothing God will not give to you. Amen. There is a very famous rich man in this country who is called Rockefeller. Many of you know him. He is rich. He is said to be one of the five richest people in U.S. history. When he was dying, he called all his children and said, there is a secret I want to tell you. All his children flew from all everywhere they were and came. And they were expecting that their father was about to tell them something mysterious that nobody has ever heard. And after he had spoken to them about all his businesses, what they should do, he said, this is the secret. Never forget to die. He said, never forget to pay your tithes. He said, this is what has brought me this far and has kept me in this wealth. That businessman before he died. So many of us still struggle to pay our tithes because we think that God has given us money to spend on ourselves. Then when we have the leftovers, we can bring it to God. That is why it is in church that you think about offerings. You don't think about offerings from home because giving is not in your priority when you think about God. But when you understand that everything God has given to you belongs to him first, there is nothing God will not give to you. If you read the Bible, when God asked Solomon, what can I do for you? Solomon said, give me wisdom that I may govern these people you have given to me. And God said, because you did not ask for riches or for the death of your enemies, I will give you wealth that you will not be able to handle. And Solomon became so wealthy because his first idea was to take care of God's people and not about anything that he had for himself. Once you become concerned about what God is concerned about, God will become concerned about everything you're concerned about. Did somebody understand that English? Once you take care of God's business, God will take care of your business. Can I say it again? Once you become concerned about God's business, God will become concerned about your business. Let me ask you a question. If God makes you a millionaire today, what will you do with the money? Maybe you're a woman now, you go and throw your wardrobe away. You upgrade. All your shoes become maybe $1,000 to red bottles. Then you handbag, hand back all Gucci's, 11. Yeah. Then different watches. Then you come to church now, walk around like they need to see you. Maybe you should sit behind before now. You sit in front so that people can see who you are. Then you drive the, the 2,000 and Maybe 14 car that you drive now. It becomes too old. You want the latest. You upgrade it. you customizing. You put everything that you need inside. That is your version of blessing. But people that understand what blessing means is that you take the resources that God has given to you and you influence the life of many people as you can. Is somebody hearing me? When you think that way, there is nothing God will not give to you. Amen. Amen. And then he goes on to say, You adulterers. Now, James sounds very strong and very harsh in this text. The way he's addressing the people. If you said these things that James is saying in this culture where we live today, people will leave that church. That pastor is rude. He called people in church adulterers. But James was addressing something that was going on in the church. And he said, You don't realize that friendship with the world is enmity with God. I say it again, if you are a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Worldliness is a reason behind most of our carnal behaviors. The reason why we don't seem to be content with everything that God has given to us is because we measure ourselves with the standards of the world. We want to do things like the people do. Like for example, I've seen couples who have had a successful wedding. I mean, wedding that was news of the town. But after the wedding, they are in debt, credit card debt. And they have stress in their relationship. They have stress in their home because they try to pay back for the money that they borrowed in order to celebrate their wedding. Now, the question is this. Did you really need to have that classy and that standard wedding in the first place? Now, if you can afford it and pay for it, it's good. But if you are going to go to the length of borrowing and stressing yourself and getting to all these inconveniences because you want to keep up with the standards of the world, that's what James is saying, wellness You know, I was in Togo and I was very impressed when two young people in church were about to get married. The guy was a bike rider going to school, going to a professional school, and the lady is still in school. But they felt like we are in love. There is no need why we should be burning in passion with each other hoping that someday we are going to get married. I have a place to stay. We have food to eat. Let's get married. And they told the pastor, we can't afford to feed all this crowd in the congregation. So what we are going to do is that we are going to celebrate our wedding during the youth meeting in the evening. So the pastor came to the youth meeting. They gathered their friends. And they blessed their wedding right there. Their reception was popcorn and some soft drinks. People drank and they left. That was the wedding. But today, we want to keep up with the standards of the world to the point that, some people will postpone their marriage to 2025 because they want to bring everything together. I want to get my dream gown, go to my dream vacation spot. And you go to the left of stressing yourself and inconveniencing people around you because you want to have the same standards of the world. If somebody hearing me this morning, there is nothing wrong with having whatever you can pay for. But if you are going to stress yourself and get into pain because you want to measure with some standards, some fairy tale wedding you read in a book or saw so on TV. You, be, you are measuring yourself with the standards of the world. Like I said, once we do things in church, it's never enough. I've seen a case where a brother was doing Thanksgiving. They came to the church. God lifted his brother, gave his brother a wonderful job. After years of suffering, came to church after prayers and prophecy. God lifted the brother up. He started making a lot of money. He came to church to do Thanksgiving. Let's say, let me, let, me, let me bring in this context in America. And then his offering envelope to come and thank God for lifting me up was like $50. And after all the dancing and praise the Lord, praise, he dropped the $50. Then he said, let, I'm calling my friends and my family at home to actually celebrate what God has done for me. Then at home, they beer at home. They champagne the alcohol, people ate, people drank, and they were drunk. If you compare how much he spent to entertain his friends, and how much he gave to God, it tells you who he was actually thanking. Was he thanking his friends, or he was thanking God? So we just come to God to say, well, let's not be that, you know, I was absent in the church, or I didn't show gratitude to God, and then we do pretense. But the real thanksgiving goes on behind the scenes. Worldliness. that is why we do things that we're not supposed to do because we want to keep up with the worldly standards Is somebody hearing me this morning if you are going to be a christian be a christian and be wholeheartedly a christian that's what we said this morning that we are a generation who will not compromise Is somebody hearing me this morning Amen. we will not compromise i remember when i had my wedding i said in my wedding no alcohol in my wedding my uncles were mad they were offended, but I said, it is my wedding, no alcohol. I said so, and it was so. But you know, someone was a wedding, know, I have my uncles that are coming. If you don't bring alcohol, they'll be offended. So you please the people of the world. You have to set a standard for what you believe. Is somebody hearing me this morning. You have to have a standard for what you believe. Look at the Muslims. There are things a Muslim man will not do. There is no way you can say, I'm going to my uncle's house and I'm going to eat pork. Who is a Muslim and you say, well, it is them, let them eat pork. You will never eat pork in their house or around their house or anything that concerns them because they have a standard for what they believe. It is only Christians that a man walk into their house in their living room and is smoking and they have nothing to say. What is their personal choice? Let them smoke. And they are smoking, blowing it in your face and you have nothing to say. When you believe, you have a standard. It's somebody what you this morning. You say, this is what I believe. Nobody's going to cause me to do what is wrong. I'm keeping these standards around my territory. If you want to do what you want to do, then get out of my territory. Is somebody hearing me this morning? we have to define what we believe. Get out of the world. The Bible says we are in the world, but we are not of the world. Amen. We are of the world. We are in the world, but we are not of the world. And then he says, lastly, don't you think that the scriptures have no meaning when they say that God has placed a spirit in us to make us faithful to him. When a man is in pride, like I said last week, the Bible means nothing to him. Have you seen a case where you're advising somebody to say, well, this is what you should do, this is what you should do. I hear what you're saying, but I'm going to do what I, I want to do. I'm going to do me, like, I hear in people say in this, culture. I'm going to do me. So, it's not doing what God says, it's doing me, what I feel, what I want is what I'm going to do, regardless of what the Bible says. If you truly want to walk in humility, God's word is always supreme. It doesn't matter how you feel or what you want, the word of God is always supreme. Is somebody hearing me this morning? God's word is supreme. Your feelings don't count. Your opinion doesn't count when it comes to the word of God. The word of God must stand. Amen. Amen. If you truly want to walk in humility, it says God gives grace generously, as the scripture says. God opposes the pride, the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Listen, in this life, you're going to have opposition. We may have opposition because of our beliefs, of our spiritual inclination. Maybe I'm Republican, you are Democrat, so you oppose me. Maybe you are Republican, I'm Ambazonian, you oppose me. We may have oppositions in different areas. But don't allow God to become one of your oppositions. Is somebody hearing me this morning? You may have 1,000 oppositions because not everybody can like you. Let me say that. No matter how nice you are, some people are always going to find a reason not to like you. Just look how tall he is. They will find something not to like you. Look how dark he is. There will be a reason for them not to like you. But don't let God become one of your oppositions. Because when God begins to oppose you, it is dangerous. Can you fight against God? Can you stand before God? Can you measure with God? Bible says God resists the proud. But it gives grace to the humble. Now, like I said before, theologians have unanimously agreed when they come to the commentaries in James chapter four that the summary of the root cause of pride is insecurity. The summary of the root cause of pride is insecurity because it says in the beginning, the reason why you are jealous, the reason why you act this way is because you are looking for something you don't have. So, in order. In, other way, in, in, in a way to get it, you start manifesting out because you think that by these manifestations, you will get it. Have you realized that short people always talk a lot because they try to make up for their height by talking? That is exactly how pride manifests. There is a root cause inside of you that makes you manifest the way you do. And it's insecurity. There is an insecurity inside of you that makes you walk around acting all proud. Have you realized that people that are very wealthy are very humble? For example, if we had a a meeting this evening, or maybe a gala, and they say, let's come dressed up, and we invite, let's say, Mike Zuckerberg, Bill Gates, don't be surprised they'll come with shorts. They don't care because their name alone is out there. They don't need to prove anything to you. But some of us here will go to our most expensive clothes that we never wore since 2011. They will wear it out. And the way you wear, your movement changes. You that used to walk like this, now you're walking all lifted because of the dress that you wear. In your mind, you think you're somebody now because of the way you dress. It's an insecurity because when you are satisfied inside, when you are complete inside, when you understand who you are inside, you don't need to prove anything to anybody. Is somebody hearing me? When you know who you are in Christ, you don't need to prove anything to anybody. But when we are insecure, that is when we try to put on a show outside to prove to people something that we are not. That is why I said the most proud people sometimes are poor people. Take, for example, if you were born in a family where you had everything. Shoes don't mean anything to you because you always had it. Clothes don't mean anything to you because you always had it. Food does not mean anything to you because you always had it. Going to a fancy restaurant does not mean anything because your dad always took you there. But if you came from a family like us where everything was a struggle, the moment you wear your first shoe that you bought for $300, you feel like now they should carry you everywhere because you don't want to put your feet in the ground. Pride. That's why the, the, the poor those who are easily inclined to pride because you, you, you suddenly get something outside that you never had inside. Insecurity. You start showing up. And if somebody does not address you the way it should be addressed, you get offended because you want that title, you want that name, in order to complete something that you never had inside. But like I said, you don't need to say Dr. Bill Gates or Sr. Bill Gates or Mr. Bill Gates. The name Bill Gates itself commands a respect. It is those who have an insecurity about who they are that want all the titles. Call me Reverend, you Scoopy. You call me brother. Am I your brother? Come in, reverend. You get so offended because somebody did not call you the way you wanted because there is something you are insecure about. Is somebody hearing me this morning. Once you deal with the insecurity that you have inside of you, then it becomes easy to walk in humility. If I go to somewhere, the first thing I identify is that before being a pastor, I'm first of all a child of God. I have seen pastors who have gone to a ceremony, and they did not give them the seat that they deserve. And because, because of that, they got so offended and left the occasion. How can me, Reverend, they mix me in the crowd with people? Before being a reverend, you are first of all what a child of God. These are your brothers and sisters. But because of that name, Reverend, they feel like now they can't see anywhere in the crowd, they have to be up there. Some people even get offended that they introduce other men of God and they were never introduced. Can you imagine, he called this one, he called this one, and never called me. What disrespect. This man of God is so arrogant. They try to focus on what another person did instead of seeing their pride. But when you deal with your insecurities and understand who you are in Christ, it becomes easy to walk in humility. This text reveals three things that I'm going to show you very quick in order to deal with this root cause of insecurity. Number one, in verse 6, It says God has placed his spirit within us in order to make us faithful to him. If you are going to deal with that insecurity, number one, you have to be faithful to God. When we talk about faithfulness to God, it's not coming to church every day. Faithfulness means wholehearted devotion. means God becomes your everything. It means my identity is in God. If somebody hearing me this morning, my identity is in God. I don't need to dress a certain way to give myself an identity. I don't need to be called a reverend to have an identity. I don't need to be addressed by a certain nationality to have an identity. My identity is in God. So my devotion is to God. Is somebody hearing me, you faithfully devote yourself to God. Give your all to God. And whatever man says about you will not count. Because your devotion is to God. But when you become political, trying to please people... Then you have to show up a certain way. You have to talk a certain way. You have to behave a certain way in order to keep up with the standards because your identity is with people. But when you understand that your identity and your devotion, your commitment is to God, what matters is what God thinks about me and not what any man thinks about me. Hallelujah. Whole-hearted devotion. What does this mean? Everything you do, you have to be conscious that God is watching. God is supervising your actions. God is watching your behavior. God is watching your moves. So you seek to please him and not anybody else. Hallelujah. Whole-hearted devotion. If many of us had this devotion to God, our attitudes would change. The way we talk would change. The way we act would change. But because we are not conscious of what God is doing in our lives, it is easy for us to walk in pride. Number two, it says, Humble yourselves, therefore. Now, whenever we talk about humbling ourselves, most people think that God is going to come and make them humble. Like I said, if God has to make you humble, like we read from the case of Nebuchadnezzar, it's not be a good event. So you humble yourself before God comes to humble you. It becomes an intentional, you know, action that you take in order to bring yourself down. You decide... Inside of you that I'm not going to be where I want to be. I'm going to step myself down. Jesus said, whoever wants to be great, let it become what? Your servants. You bring yourself that You humble yourself. You choose to walk in the spirit instead of in the flesh. You know, sometimes the reason why we manifest in pride is because maybe you're offended right now. There is something you really want to say. You want to give them a piece of your mind on how you feel. And the Holy Spirit says, stay quiet. But your ego can't let you stay quiet, so you have to say something. But when you choose to be humble, you choose to identify with the Spirit of God and say, I don't care how I feel right now, I'm going to follow what God is saying. That's humility. You bring yourself down. Imagine Jesus before Pilate. Pilate is a human being created by Jesus. And then he says to Jesus, are you really the king of the Jews? The Bible said Jesus did not say anything. And then listen to what Pilate said. Pilate said, don't you know have the power to set you free. Jesus can say, Oh, look at this guy, <laughs> I can kill you today. But the Bible says, He offered not a word. Humility will make you walk in a way that people will consider you stupid, but you're actually following God. Amen. You are intentional about your actions, intentional about your behavior, about what you say, the things you do. You are intentional. Amen. And lastly, Number three, says, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, this makes you understand that pride is from the devil. One of the tests that, the, that God will give you as a man before he brings you to faith is the test of pride. God will give you that test of pride before it actually brings you to faith. And many people fail in this test. They say, if you want to know if a man is proud or not, give him power. Taste him with more power. I have seen people when I was growing up in school. We used to be friends. The moment they nominated them as a class prefect, or a lead, or gave them a leadership position in school, they completely change. Because power will bring out the pride in you. But the Bible says, "Resist the devil, and he will flee from you." Now, how do you resist the devil? We can clearly see this between Adam in the garden and Jesus when he was tempted. One of the ways the devil will test you is that he will twist the scriptures and make you think that you are doing the right thing. You no, know, the devil will say, this is your time. You have to shine. You have to show them that you are a child of God. Don't make them think you are the lads. And so he makes you adopt this posture of trying to show something to people. That's what he said to, to, to eat when, he, when the serpent came to him. He said, did God really say that you should not eat this fruit? That's not, that's not what God said. God said, eat every fruit in the garden, but not this one. But the serpent made it like God said they should not eat any fruit in the garden. He twisted the scriptures. Then he said, If you eat this fruit, you will be like God. They were already like God, because the Bible says, In the image of God, he created in them, male and female. They were already like God. But Satan twisted the scriptures and deceived man. And Adam he took the fruit and ate. And Adam came and ate, and he fell. But look at Jesus in Matthew chapter 4. After he had fasted, if you have ever fasted for long, one of the things that happens is that you become so thirsty and the angel knew exactly what Jesus needed. He said, if you are truly a man of God, a child of God, as you say, turn these stones into bread. What did Jesus say? He says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus used the scriptures to overcome the devil. So, what is going to help you to resist the devil is not how prayerful you are, it's the content of the Word of God that you have inside of you that will help you overcome the scriptures, help you overcome the devil. Is somebody hearing me this morning? The content of the Word of God that you have inside of you is what is going to help you overcome the devil. There is a law in physics called the Achimini's law of rotation. Many of you have studied physics, you know. He says that when you immerse an object into a container of water, he says that the quantity, the weight of the quantity of the water displaced, is equal to the weight of the object that was immersed in that water. Now, in application, the quantity of the word of God that you store in your heart is equal to the quantity of problems that will leave your heart. Can I say that again? The quantity of the word of God that you store in your heart is equal to the quantity of problems that will leave your heart. So if there is no word of God in your heart, all your problems are still in your heart. You only replace your troubles by the word of God. The moment you, you know is that like you're changing your configurations. Every day you're changing your settings until the settings are all complete. Now you're complete in Christ. So if you know nothing, all your troubles are still there. The Bible says, my people perish for lack of what? What you know is what sets you free. So for us to overcome the devil, we have to know the word of God. That is why it's important for us to memorize the Bible. Memorize Bible verses. You know them. Whenever you are faced with a trouble, you don't say your emotions. You don't say what you think. You memorize the word of God. You quote the word of God back to the devil. This is what the Bible says, I am the head, and not the tail. Sickness is not my portion. They that dwell in Zion shall not say their are sin. I shall be the head and not the tail. God has sent me above, Though I walk to the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil. Fear is not my portion. You quote it back to the devil. And once the devil knows that you know who you are, he walks away. Like in Matthew chapter 4, once the devil heard what Jesus said, the Bible said, the devil left him alone. The reason why the devil is still following many of us is because we have not said anything to tell the devil that we know who we are. So he keeps coming around because he thinks that one day he will get it. But we have to resist the devil. Amen. So what have we said this morning? In order for you to deal with the roots of pride, number one, be faithful to God. Let God become your all in all and live to please God and not any man. What God says about me is what is important. Amen. Number two, intentionally humble yourself. You will bring yourself down. Bring yourself down. Uh, pastor Bread of Grace Covenant Church said that one pastor came to him and was desiring to become a pastor. And then he said, your first task is to go clean the toilets. Can you imagine? That somebody walks into this church and says, man of God, the Lord has sent me to come and be an associated pastor in New Brick Prison Church. Says, okay, that's good man of God. Can you go clean the toilet? I'm telling you, 90% of people will get offended and leave. Because in their definition of being an associated pastor, cleaning the toilet is not involved. They want to get on the stage and get a mind and say, well, I'm pastor. Ronald, I just came this morning from South Carolina. I'm your new pastor. They don't see that as part of the service. But if you're going to be a servant of God that God will use, there is no tax in the house of God that is beyond your job description. Yeah. Amen. Amen. We are servants of God. Let's bring ourselves down and God is going to lift us up. Amen. Can we stand on our feet this morning?